Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. In real estate business, whether you are managing your own properties and investing in your own deals, or whether you are syndicating large projects, you need to know a lot about insurance. And you need to have an expert on your team who knows insurance inside and out. Not only is it important that you're protecting your capital, but if you're syndicating deals like we are, we may have 150 to 200 investors in one project. And we want to ensure that we have the correct insurance for every asset that we have. And we want to ensure that we've thought of everything we could think of to have the proper insurance. That's why you are going to hear the highlights of the experts today talking about real estate insurance. Our guest is Darren Gross. Thanks for being on the show, Darren. Thank you, Whitney. Glad to be here. When should we contact you? You know, I like having just a relationship. I mean, we're consulting with, you know, insurance brokers really very early on. If we feel like it's a property we're going to pursue, we're talking to them about the property before we have it under contract even just so we can be that much more accurate with our numbers. But when do you say we should contact you? Well, I would follow Whitney's model, your example there, and have a relationship with a broker. And if you've got something that looks attractive and you're running the numbers before you run a letter of intent or you know write a letter of intent, just have a conversation quick. You know, a couple things to know the age of the property is usually kind of a starting point, you know, and then what your plans are for the property, if it's going to be a heavy lift or if it's more a matter of it's fully occupied and you're just going to continue to operate it. But those are just two things. And then I think probably the thing that people don't realize that I would, if they take nothing else away from this, is if you're buying an older property and you are in that letter of intent and you understand that you're going to need to know what the seller's experience has been with that property. So you want to get a loss history. And that's not something that they have at their ready. They usually have to go request it. And depending on the level of service their broker provides, their insurance broker provides, could be delayed. And that could delay you getting a competitive quote for your insurance. Is mm. you know, because so, for a surprise, if, if you know, if God forbid there's there was a horrible loss that nobody Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know, and you've gone past your due diligence period and you didn't press that they had to give that to you or you didn't ask for it. Could be a surprise. It could upset your numbers. Mm, so we think we have, you know, one number in mind for insurance and then we get much closer, say, to closing. And then we find out that the seller had some other history or had some claims and that really affects our numbers for insurance. It can. It can, depending on what it was and, and if it's been rectified, you know, if it's something that, you know, it was an electrical fire because they had some sort of problem that has not been mitigated, you may find out you can't get insurance, you know, or at least something that would be affordable. But yeah, I think just just knowing the few things that you're going to need and pressing that and adding that to your, your due diligence list can put you in a better position to, you know, to have actual numbers so that you can hit your mark. One of the things that I hear and I read sometimes some of these Facebook groups and stuff is that people have this a number that they put in for underwriting per door. And I got to tell you, you're in Virginia. I'm here in Oregon. The weather, which is primarily the driver of insurance claims, 
is dramatically different across the U.S., okay? In Oregon, we have rain, okay? And it's not, not going to blow your roof off. It's, it's not going to you know, burn your house down. It's rain. If you've got a good roof, you're probably in good shape. If you go anywhere to like the Gulf states or, you know, the coastal where there's more uh, wind or even the Midwest where you have tornadoes, hail, all of these different factors, they all affect the rate-free insurance. So if you listen to this and, and we threw out a number, a number I've heard is like $250 or $300 per door, you could be way off the mark, you know, either pro or con. I mean, for, you know, for out here, you may totally miss the number because you put too big of a number in your expense. Whereas, you know, down in the Southeast, along the Gulf Coast, you may lose your, you may find out like, oh my God, this stuff's expensive. So all I can say is start that process early and get the information and communicate with your insurance broker and, and you know, get an actual number. So it goes back to that relationship. I know that, like if we were moving into a new market, that's one of the things we're going to do is contact our, our insurance broker and say, you know, these types of properties or maybe even give an example, what should we expect? How would you handle that or suggest? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, start with that relationship. And local is usually going to be your best option. You know, somebody that's familiar with the territory. I mean, they're, they're kind of the eyes and ears of the of the insurance company. Having said that, we write in, I think it's like 43 of the 50 states. We have clients that have, you know, properties on the bout and stuff. And and the internet is the World Wide Web. So we do get opportunities and, and we just try and be focused and, and provide service to those, our customers. Nice. So... We had mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, getting this history and finding that there's been problems that could affect our rates for insurance. And maybe if we didn't ask for that early enough, you know, it could be late in the due diligence phase of buying this property and it really turned our numbers, you know, upside down. So what, you know, could that ever happen, say, after closing? The insurance companies have written in their policy that there's a, I can't remember if it's 60 days or 30 days, but there's a, if they bound coverage on something and then they go out and inspect it and find out it's absolutely not what they were told. You know, maybe the pictures were of the street of the property across the street, just anything like that. It was thought to be this pristine property only to find out it's anything but the insurance company can send you a letter saying, hey, we're off. You know, here's your notice, 10 day notice, good luck. We're out of here, kind of thing. So Absolutely. And, you know, and even with that, like loss control, they can go out. I mean, most companies anymore, you've got the internet, you've got people on the ground, you've got people in the area that they can contact to go out and do an inspection. They're taking advantage of all those tools and they're getting out and inspecting properties right away so they can avoid staying on a risk, you know, waiting for the loss. They're exercising the contract to their benefit. So at the very least, you're going to get a list of inspection uh, loss control uh, recommendations. You know, it could be that the the railings are too wide, or they're lateral as opposed to vertical, or or trip and fall hazards, or the fire extinguishers aren't up to date, or you know, just on and on and on it goes. But but the the fact is that the insurance company, in in a sense, they are your partner in a sense, is that they don't want to have a loss. If you recognize that's what their goal is, is not to have a loss, and you work to you know keep them happy more than likely your experience will be profitable and you may have to spend some money to update certain things or or correct certain things. But in the end, it should be a prevention measure as opposed to attracting 
you know, prospective loss. Is there anything else that you suggest that we collect from the seller, you know, just to get that information that we need or everything that we need as far as insurance is concerned? Yeah, I think just to kind of reiterate that the value add properties are probably the ones that I deal with most. I'm guessing the majority of properties you've dealt with or your listeners that are doing any kind of syndicating or dealing with as well. These properties tend to be older. They have some sort of need of capital improvement, maybe some deferred maintenance. And the insurance companies know that most of the systems and the systems being, there's four basic systems. You've got your roof, electric, heating, and your plumbing systems. They have a limited life expectancy. And so 30 years, most of the companies I deal with, and I think nationwide, most companies are looking at and saying, look, your roof needs to be replaced if it hasn't been. So when you're dealing with the seller, if you can find out the most recent date of these four systems that they've been updated or replaced, you'll be much further ahead. And then even have your inspector verify that, you know, whether it be at the electrical panel they can see an installation date or a furnace, if, or you know, if it's a furnace or a boiler. I mean, if it's what am I trying to think of? What's the heat? The electric? I can't even think what it is now. Just the on the wall there plugs in. It's the electrical thing, and they they flip the switch and it's on off kind of thing. If it's that kind of thing, that it's not a big deal. But but your electrical system is probably one of the ones that we're running into more issues here as of late. There are some panels out there that are known to be problematic. There's Zinsco and a Federal Pacific. Used to be everybody was worried about knob and tube or or fuses or aluminum wiring. Um, All of these can be problematic. But knowing those things before you make your offer and then also having an idea of what it would cost to correct can really help you position yourself in a position of strength, both with a negotiation and also with no unexpected surprises. And also, if there is a period of where an insurance company is will not accept the property in its current condition, but you have bids to correct it, and you have a contract with a provider to correct it right away, you might be able to negotiate coverage with the understanding that these are going to be corrected right away. Our guest is Brian Schimmel. Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Well, thanks for having me. Tell me, who is your typical client? Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, we kind of span the gamut with it. I mean, we have some clients that have a portfolio as large as 30,000, 40,000 units, but I have clients all the way down that, that might have 500, 600 units, somewhere in that range. You know, so we really do kind of span the gamut in terms of the size of the portfolio. We work on a national basis. So from coast to coast, I mean, I'm doing a ton of work right now in Texas, ton of work in California, even though I'm based right here in Florida where a large percentage of my clients are, but we pretty much work on a national basis. I mean, as you can imagine, so many, you know, apartment operators, I mean, they don't just have assets in one part of the country. So, you know, we pretty much span, you know, coast to coast. So, you know, I'd like to dive in a little bit about how how you support your clients, what that partnership, you know, or relationship looks like, you know, the ways I think you had mentioned, like the unique ways that you all help support clients. But what does this relationship look like? And, you know, when should I be contacting somebody like yourself? And let's just kind of go through that process a little bit. Yeah, well, it usually either starts in two scenarios. I mean, the first scenario being, you know, maybe they're unhappy with their current service level. And, you know, obviously, we would position what, you know, how we could address, you know, service issues that my client might have. But most often, it really just starts with the acquisition of the first asset. Somebody's looking at a property somewhere, they need to insure that property. And through one way or the other, they get introduced to multifamily risk advisors. And, 
we kind of come in and help them get from the time, you know, that they entered their due diligence all the way to the closing on a property. You know, if you really look at what's going on in the marketplace right now, habitational insurance is in a very difficult spot that it hasn't been in for a lot of years. Since really the first of the year, the market has been going undergoing a pretty significant hard, what we call hardening of the market, where its rates are going up, coverage is going down, carriers are being very picky. It's a very difficult market. You know, and I, we see so many of our clients that, you know, they might grab the seller's OM, take a look at their insurance number, and that becomes their number for underwriting. And in this market, that is definitely not what you should be doing. I mean, we're, there are some people that are getting some very significant increases. Having your coverage conform to lender guidelines, especially Fannie or Freddie guidelines, is becoming more and more of an issue, especially with regards to things like roof ages and wiring and things along those lines. So, you know, when it starts, you know, from an acquisition standpoint, we really kind of just come in and prove our worth, how we become part almost of the underwriting or due diligence team that helps get that closing over the goal line. So you, know, you mentioned like habitational insurance. You know, what is that? If you look at, you know, apartments in general, anything residential, you could be talking about senior, student, you know, whatever it might be. If it's a type of property that people inhabit, you know, th- that marketplace has really been undergoing, like I said, a tremendous hardening, meaning rates are going up in that area. Now, the big question is, is what's that attributed to? You know, when you look at your apartment coverages, there's three primary coverages that are in place on almost every property. There's the property insurance, which you know covers the asset itself. There's the liability portion, which covers you know things like slips and falls and such that you might be sued for. And then there's usually an excess liability layer, layer excuse me, that sits atop that general liability. Should you have, should you have a really bad claim that exhausts the limits of the primary general liability policy. So in almost every property, you're going to have those three coverages. Obviously, there's others such as flood and things like that that could be um, in place in the property. But those are the three, you know, core coverages that are in place. And with regards to why is habitational becoming so much more difficult, it's really just kind of due to the claims that have taken place. I mean, don't hold me to the exact numbers, but in general, I think the industry as a whole expects about $40 billion in losses on a year-to-year basis. In 2017, I believe the numbers that I've heard was the industry took $170 billion in losses. And then in 2018, you know, it might sound far better than 170, but the industry still took $80 billion in losses, which is twice what they were expecting. And as a result, the marketplace adjusts. And you know, they adjust rates, they adjust coverages to try to figure out some way, some path to profitability. And so if you compare this market to what's been occurring for a good seven or eight years prior to this, the market's been very soft. Rates are falling. Everybody's seeing their renewals go down. You know, if you get in some sort of situation where you need to get some sort of concession from the carrier, the chances are you could probably get that done if it was reasonable. And now we're finding ourselves in a much different spot. But it's all coming from losses that occurred, catastrophic losses, hail losses across the Midwest. The Midwest keeps getting hammered time and time again with hail. So it's all attributed to losses. Nice. So, you know, one of my questions are going to be like different types of insurance that we need to be thinking about. But it's really 
depending on the location, right? I guess what's been happening there over the last so many years. And, you know, how is that going to affect how we're even underwriting deals? I mean, obviously, you know, hopefully we're going to contact somebody like yourself. We're going to get an estimate, right, to make sure we're underwriting properly. So what about, you know, you know, from the time getting an estimate to from the time we close, you know, we've had insurance, you know, change on a deal drastically from the time we got an estimate to the time we close. And, that, you know, it changes things a lot, you know. And so, you know, can we go elaborate on that process? And is there a way to, when we get that estimate, you know, how solid is that? And, and what do we need to be thinking about when we get that? Well, I mean, how solid and how accurate it is really is dependent upon who you're working with. I mean, are they just spitballing some sort of estimate that they hope's in the ballpark? Or are they really, you know, collecting the information you know, on the front end, they need to give you an accurate estimate on it. Obviously, you know, we understand when, you know, your money goes hard in a deal, you know, and you're banking, you know, your purchase really on the estimate that we're giving you, how accurate that, you know, our estimates need to be. To get an accurate estimate, you know, you really need quality information on the building. I mean, what sort of square footages are we dealing with? When was it built? You know, what was the wiring? You know, if there's one thing that a listener takes away from today's show, it would be to understand your roof ages, because this is a very interesting point right now that so many people are missing. And it it gets a little bit technical, but I mean, if you'd like, I would love to delve down into what's going on with roofs right now and why it's so important to get the seller or somebody to be able to tell you exactly how old these roofs are. Please. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. So if you look at property insurance, insuring the asset itself, there's a couple different valuation clauses that will be used. Replacement cost, meaning depreciation, is not factored into any sort of claim payment or actual cash value, which means depreciation is. Well, in this market, if the roofs on a building are older than about 12 or 15 years old, it depends upon the carrier. Most carriers are only going to cover it from an actual cash value basis, meaning depreciation is factored in. So if you have a 20-year roof, there's a claim, the adjuster is going to come in and the adjuster is going to adjust the claim payment, assuming that there's not much life left in these roofs. Well, the real problem comes in to a lot of your lending requirements, especially Annie and Freddie, because Fannie and Freddie will not accept actual cash value clause on a property insurance policy. So you know, just having somebody tell you the approximate age of a roof or something could really get you into a lot of problems when you're ready to literally sit down at the closing table. We had this issue a few weeks ago. We were told the age of the roofs all the way across the board. We put the coverage in place and lo and behold, the lender comes with a prop with a PCA that stated they weren't even sure, but the PCA stated that they thought the roofs were close to 20 years old. It conflicted with the information we had but the lender was going to go off of their property condition report, at which point they saw that the roofs would be valued on an actual cash value basis. And it almost cost a closing. We were able to actually get it over the goal line with our clients, but it was many phone calls and a lot of doing to get that done. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital. 
Making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.